Today is the day we celebrate freedom. So I wanted to share a story of freedom that I found this week. I came across uh, the story of Jonathan Irons. I don't know if you got to read anything about him uh, over the last week, uh, but he's actually been somebody that has had quite a journey. And in 1998, does anybody remember 1998? I think I was a sophomore in high school. Oh man, 1998. This guy, he was 16 years old. He was walking through a neighborhood in Jefferson City, Missouri, probably on the wrong day, because later in subsequent weeks, he was convicted of a crime he did not commit. It was a crime of of burglary and assault, pretty serious. He was sentenced to 50 years of prison, 50 years of prison at the age of 16. But just a few months ago in March of this year, March of 2020, a court ruled that those convictions would be vacated, that that sentence would be overturned. And so he is pictured here with a family friend. I don't know if you know this lady. Her name is Maya Moore. Um, She is basically the Michael Jordan of the WNBA. Okay, (laughs) Maya Moore, uh, she's a four-time WNBA champion. She's a finals MVP, a league MVP, a two-time Olympic gold medalist, a two-time world champion with Team USA. And in 2019, as she got more and more familiar with her friend's story, she realized that she needed to invest her time and also her resources in making sure this man could see freedom. And so in 2019, at the prime of her career, a 29-year-old basketball star, she stepped away from her team, the Lynx, uh, the Minnesota Lynx. She stepped away from the game that she loved in the prime of her career, not for injury, not for fatigue, but to invest her time for overturning Jonathan's wrongful conviction. She left it all so one man could experience liberty. And just this Wednesday, she stood outside the Jefferson City Correctional Facility and welcomed Jonathan as he walked out. It was awesome. He was wearing a face mask that said hope. Uh, His fellow inmates made it for him. And um, man, as as she was just kind of cheering and, you know, uh, bringing him to her her Instagram camera, she was asking him, how does this feel? And all he could say, he could breathe out was this, I feel like I can live now. I'm free. I'm blessed. I just want to live my life worthy of God's help and influence. I think this is, um, yeah, this is him coming out of the correctional facility and there's Maya celebrating in the background. And as I read this story, I couldn't help but see a faint picture of Jesus. You know, the King of Kings, who in the prime of his glory left it all, right? Who in the prime of his glory left it all, why? To set us free from sin and death. Why? Because in liberty, there is life. In liberty, there is life. And what's more, he left earth, ascended to heaven, and granted us what we're studying over the next few weeks, the comforter, the gift of the Spirit. I love how 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 says it like this. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? There's freedom. There's freedom. And so today we're continuing our study. Last week we began exploring 
the conditions. We know that, that Jesus has promised to give us his spirit, but what are the conditions that make you and I ready to receive this promise? Last week, we started a list of three conditions. This week, we're going to add two more to that list. And I, I, I won't claim that this is an exhaustive list, but these are the, the conditions that for me have made the, the greatest impact as I've allowed God to dwell in my heart. And so let's keep going. We're going to go to the book of Isaiah. So if, you've ha- if you have your Bible, if you're Bible is on your mobile device. Let's find the book of Isaiah. It's an Old Testament prophet, a little bit more than halfway through your Bible. Isaiah chapter 44, verse 3. We're, again, we're looking for the conditions that make us ready to receive the Holy Spirit in full. Isaiah chapter 44, beginning in verse 3. When you're there, say amen. All right. Isaiah 44, verse 3. I'm reading from the New King James Version. This is a verse that we've read. It's a verse that we've looked at. I think a couple of weeks ago, we looked at this verse, but we need to come back to it because there's a condition here. All right. The Bible says, this is God speaking to the prophet Isaiah, his personal first person promise to us. For I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. All right. So take a look, lock your eyes on this verse. There is a promise. God is saying, I'm going to pour water. I'm going to flood. I'm going to give floods. And when he's talking about water, when he's talking about floods, he's not talking about something literal. He's not talking about a literal deluge. In the next few phrases, he says, I will pour my spirit on your descendants. When God promises water and floods, he's promising to pour out who? His spirit. He's promising to pour out his spirit. Question, according to this verse, who is the promise of his spirit for? Who is it for? Who is it for? Uh, let, let's start in the first few phrases, okay? Yeah, we see that it's for, it's for us. It's for our descendants. It's for our offspring. But notice it says, for I will pour water on him or her who is, what is the next word? On him who is thirsty. Yeah. All right. So here's the condition. This condition is for those who are thirsty. Have you ever been thirsty before? Yeah. I mean, these summer days, woo. If you think this is hot, go to Bakersfield in the summer. (laughs) Yeah, where it's uh, triple digits and 90 degrees at night. Uh, you can go swimming any time of day. Anyways, in, in Isaiah 44, we are seeing a promise for him who is thirsty. In the context of Isaiah 40, the, the, the first few 40 chapters, I'm sorry, the first few 40s, 40, 40 41, 42, 43, 44, um, God is actually talking to an unfaithful people who are expecting judgment. And he's trying to speak comfort and hope to them that, hey, there is light at the end of the tunnel. So these are messages, these are promises to an unfaithful people. He's saying, I'm going to redeem you. Just take a look at in chapter 43, some powerful promises there that you can highlight. Uh, I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to do a new thing. I'm going to blot out your transgressions. These are a broken people, an unfaithful people. And he says, if you're thirsty, man, I'm going to pour water on you. These are people who are devoid of any good thing. But just because you're devoid, just because you're destitute, does not necessarily make you desirous of God. Do you you understand the difference? Because you can be broken and down and out and be shaking your fist at God. But there's a kind of brokenness that actually leads us 
to a desire. There's a willingness there to actually turn to God. That's why this promise is so key. It's not just for those who are dry. It's for those who are dry and thirsty. It's for those who actually want to come to him. If you remember John chapter 7, I don't know if I have it here on the screen. Uh, No, I don't. Okay, in John chapter 7, oh, maybe I do. Hold on. (laughs) No. No, I'm sorry. Okay. (laughs) In John chapter 7, Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Okay. This is the kind of thirst that Isaiah is talking about. It's not just that they're broken. It's not just that they're destitute, but that they realize in their dryness, they can only find satisfaction and fulfillment in God. So to him who is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The question is, are we thirsty? Are we thirsty, thirsty for God, desirous for God's presence in our lives? We may be aware that we're destitute, but the question is, are we desirous that God would be the one to satisfy our soul need? This is an honest question, because if we're completely sincere and real with ourselves, we know that we have a problematic tendency. We have a tendency when we have a soul need, a soul thirst, we have a tendency to grasp for anything and everything that would satisfy that, even if it's not God. We have a tendency to grasp for substitutes, to grasp for other things to quench our thirst, which is why in Proverbs 27, here, this is what I, I, I included this for, because, um, man, this kind of struck me on the head one, one day when I read it. One who is full loathes honey from the comb. Just think about this for a second. One who is full loathes honey from the comb. I know we've got some beekeepers amongst us. Honey is a good thing. Honey is a sweet thing. Honey is something that I love to drizzle on my my peanut butter and banana toast, right? Um, But when I'm full, the Bible says, even the very sweetest things will be loathsome to us. What does this mean for those who are thirsty for the spirit? The question is, The spirit, I mean, not the question, the the reality is that the spirit may be the sweetest satisfaction to our soul. But if I'm already full, I will not want him. So I asked the question, are we thirsty? Maybe the better question is, are there other things that are quenching our thirst besides the spirit? And this may kind of hit us at different levels. Are we allowing things to sap our spiritual appetite and thirst, whether they be other inputs into our heart, into our mind, into our body, whether they be entertainment, distractions, amusements, addictions, you name it. I actually, when I was studying this, this, uh, this concept of thirst and why I am not as thirsty as I should be, um, I started wondering, man, maybe we need a separate study or sermon on things that drive away the spirit, things that eat away at our appetite for spiritual things. And I don't know, we, we might extend this series. You, I don't know, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of go along with this. But, but the question is today, what am I substituting for the Holy Spirit in my life? You know, we'll talk a little bit more about how to cultivate a strong desire or a stronger desire for God. But I think it starts with, if we're wanting to thirst for God more, I think it starts with discerning those things that we have substituted for him and then surrendering those. Yeah. 
discerning the substitutes and surrendering them to God. So are we thirsty? Condition number one is thirst, thirsting for the spirit. The second condition I want to look at today um, is asking for the spirit, asking for the spirit. Let's go to Luke chapter 11 together. This may seem kind of common sense, but, uh, but I think it's one we need to look at again. Luke chapter 11. So if you remember, last week we talked about three conditions, the condition of repentance, the condition of faith, and the condition of obedience. Those are things that when we experience repentance, faith, and obedience, we actually open up our lives more to the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Today we're talking about thirsting for the Spirit and now asking for the Spirit. Luke chapter 11, if you're there, say, I beat you. All right. Hold it. Hold it. All right. Luke 11. Luke 11. I love this chapter. You know, Jesus, he teaches, obviously, throughout the Gospels, you find him teaching about many, many, many things. The kingdom of heaven, um, how to treat those who are not treating you well, things like that. But I think one of the things he often, most often teaches about is actually about prayer. And especially near the closing hours of his ministry, it was about the Holy Spirit. Uh, But here in Luke chapter 11, a little bit of context. In verse 1, go with me to verse 1. It says, Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, when he stopped praying, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. I think that was a polite move on the part of the disciples, right? To wait till he was done praying (laughs) before they actually interrupted him. No. So here he is. Jesus is praying. The disciples, as they often had to do, they needed to go find Jesus when they woke up. And so, so here they are. They actually come across Jesus as he is praying. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine coming upon the Son of God and overhearing him pray, hearing him talk to the Father? I mean, what kind of chills would run up your spine, right? What, what? I mean, the things I imagine the disciples just kind of like, you know, wanting to bust out their phones and Instagram, whatever, and just, what is going on here? He's talking to the Father. How is he saying it? Lord, teach us to pray. Actually, when you read, I think it's uh, Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings. Ellen White gives this idea that when he came out of prayer, the disciples saw in his countenance just, just this peace and visible power. And they, they said to themselves, I want that too. <laughs> How do I experience that kind of connection? And so that's why they're asking, Lord, please teach us to pray. Okay. The disciples, they want to learn how to pray because they observe him in prayer. And then he goes on to share the next few verses. In verse 2, he, he starts sharing the Lord's Prayer. This is not new to them. They've, he's taught this to them in the Sermon on the Mount in, in the past. And then in verse 5 through 8, he gives them this parable about a friend at midnight. I don't know if you remember that parable. It's a friend who, who has another friend come to him at midnight. He says, oh man, here, stay at my house. He's trying to be hospitable. But then he realizes he forgot to go to Costco the night before. And so he doesn't have anything in the pantry. So, so what does he do? Next best thing besides Costco is he goes to his other friend. He says, hey, I've got this guy who came to my house. I don't have any bread for him. Please, please help me out. And this is midnight, by the way. And so Jesus, as he's telling this, uh, this parable, in the story, the man who is bothered doesn't want to be bothered anymore. He wants to, to just go away. But because this guy persistently asks, 
he gives him all the bread he needs. Okay, that's the story of the parable. In other words, to pray like Jesus, remember, he's wanting to teach them to pray. To pray like Jesus is to pray with simple childlike trust. Right? That's why the Lord's Prayer says, Our Father, the very first things out of his mouth, pray to God like he is your daddy. <laughs> he knows exactly what you need even before you've asked. So to, to pray with simple childlike trust and to pray with urgent childlike persistence. Have you ever had one of those? Can we please go out and play? Can we please go out and play? <laughs> Can we go out and play now? Okay, anyways. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's simple childlike trust and urgent childlike persistence. Now look again. We're going to Luke chapter 11. Go to verse 9. This is where Jesus gets into a little bit more of a classroom didactic mode. And he's going to teach them now what it is to pray like him. Verse 9, the Bible says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. What are the three commands here? Ask, seek, knock. Yeah. Do you notice kind of the, the, uh, the intensity increasing with each verb? Ask is more of like a conversation. Seek is, hey, I'm looking. Knock is, now I need it <laughs> to be open, right? Ask, seek, knock. A-S-K. That's kind of, kind of a nice uh, acronym there in the English language. Ask, seek, and knock. He's highlighting the need for persistent, determined asking from going from asking to seeking, seeking to knocking. And when you look at the, the, the Greek uh, present tense continuous form, this is better translated as keep asking, keep seeking, and keep knocking. So here he's highlighting again that, that need for persistent, determined asking. Uh, for everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds, and him who knocks, it will be open. Now notice in verse 11, he's going to start diving into that father-son relationship. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Man, this would be a really bad practical joke, okay? This is not something to do. Uh, if, if you're a father, you like to have a good laugh, this is not a good way to have that good laugh. All right, verse 13, notice. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the what? Or maybe I should say give the who. Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. So in verses 9 to 11, he's highlighting this need for persistence. And then verses 11 to 13, he's getting to this idea of asking with childlike faith, childlike trust. And all of this is with the assurance about God as our Father, the best gift that this gracious Father can give. When we ask for things and seek for things and knock for things, he's not just going to give us good gifts. He is going to give us the greatest gift, and that is his spirit, his Holy Spirit. The best gift that this gracious Father can give is the Holy Spirit. And notice at the end of verse 13, will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who do what? Ask. Okay, that's why this is condition number two. It might seem common sense, but God's Spirit 
He wants to give him in full. Obviously, God's spirit is constantly at work around us. And, you know, it, from the very beginning in Genesis chapter one, the spirit of God hovered above the face of the waters or the face of the deep. The Holy Spirit is constantly in touch with humanity, constantly at work, even before sin and especially so after sin. But the Holy Spirit wants to do even more for those who we've already looked at thirst, but also for those who ask, for those who ask. But I would submit that it's not just the act of asking. It's not just the movement of our lips, the act of asking that readies our hearts to receive the Spirit. I would submit to you, it's actually how we ask for the Spirit. It's how we ask. And like we said, it's with that childlike trust and childlike persistence. You know, I'm, I'm hoping to get through the rest of this study to allow for a little bit more time for us to actually ask. I know we've already spent some time in prayer together, but I want to have a specific period where we can pray and ask for the Holy Spirit together. Um, but I want us to consider this even more. It's how we ask, right? Recognizing that God is our Father, we can pray for the Spirit, assured with confidence that God actually wants to give us His Spirit. So the idea of persistently asking is not because we're not sure that God wants to give him to us, right? The idea of keeping on asking. So then we need to ask this question. Why then, if God wants to give us the spirit, why would he encourage us or instruct us, even command us to ask with such persistence? Why? Why would this be the case? Again, the question is not about God's willingness. I would suggest to you that it's about our willingness. You hear that? It's not that God is unwilling to give the Spirit. It's quite possibly because we are unwilling to receive the Spirit. See, this persistent, unabashed asking reveals desire. You know, when, when someone in your life is constantly asking you for this or constantly asking you for that, we'll go back to the, uh, I want to go play outside. Can we go play outside? I know that persistent asking, it reveals a desire for something. But there comes a point where the persistent asking not only reveals that desire, it actually reinforces that desire. You understand what I mean? All right, we're going to turn this off. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let me say that again. Persistent, unabashed asking reveals desire, but there's also a point where that persistent asking reinforces desire. Um, this is a, a key thing. So why would Jesus instruct us to audaciously and repeatedly ask for the Holy Spirit? It's to strengthen our desire for the Spirit. Okay, so let's go back to thirst just for a little bit. We increase our thirst, not just by discerning what's substituting and then surrendering that, but we also increase our desire by continuing to ask. Repeatedly, frequently, intentionally, persistently, unabashedly, audaciously, anythingly, whatever, you know. We increase our thirst by continuously asking for the Spirit. That's why Jesus is so persistent here. Hey, if you want to pray like me, then keep praying, keep asking, and keep specifically asking for the Holy Spirit. Um, just a couple of quotes here. Uh, we were referring to a book written by uh, Ron Cluzet. I think this is kind of a long quote, so just stick with me here. It says this, We need to keep praying in order to realize for ourselves how important this, the Holy Spirit, actually is for our lives. 
Our hearts need persuasion by insistence. I don't know. Do you resonate with that? Our hearts need persuasion by insistence. Our praying to God is not to keep him updated, but to keep us connected. And the more we ask, the more we may develop a burden for what we ask. Okay, this is going to lead somewhere. Um, Here, this is another one. I love how just the Acts of the Apostles just puts it really succinctly. If the fulfillment of the promise is not seen as it might be, this is speaking of the promise of the Holy Spirit in our lives, okay? If the fulfillment of the promise is not seen as it might be, it is because the promise is not appreciated as it should be. Duh! (laughs) Again, this goes back to thirst and desire. Do I really want and long for the Holy Spirit in my life? Where does that longing come from? I think Jesus is indicating to us the more you ask, the more you'll want. Yeah, we know that the more I want is the more I'll ask. Okay, if I, if I want, uh, you know, uh, whatever, I, I don't know when I get into a whole bunch of material things, but if I want this, I'm going to ask for it. If I want it badly enough, I'll ask for it. But if I keep asking for that thing, that will even more so strengthen and reinforce my desire for that very thing. That's why Jesus says, keep asking, keep asking. So how do we ask? We ask with childlike uh, trust and childlike persistence. But in the grand context of this, there's more. It's not just that we ask with persistence, but it's why we ask for persistence. Go back, go back to uh, verses five through eight. You remember this parable that was kind of tucked away in there? Again, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. This is verse six. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. So here's a man who wants to provide for a friend, but he realizes he's got nothing that they need. Have you ever been in this situation where you have a friend, you have a family member, you know they have need for bread. But you, in and of yourself, have nothing to give. And it's not just because your wallet is empty. It's because you cannot save anybody. And you need the Holy Spirit. And so what does this friend do who has nothing to give? He goes to his other friend. And he knocks on his friend's door. and says, Lord... I need your spirit. Please help me give what my friend needs. That's the parable. And so quick quick question. We're, We're talking about praying with persistence. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking for the Holy Spirit. Okay, so we know the who, we're asking for the Holy Spirit. We know the how, we're asking with childlike trust and persistence. But why are we asking for the Holy Spirit with childlike trust and persistence according to this parable? It's so that someone else can get bread. Do you follow? (laughs) This is the heart of it. We're asking for the spirit in order to give spiritual blessing. This is the heart. When we are so overwhelmed with the need of others around us, when we recognize our neighbors, when we recognize our coworkers, when we recognize our family members in need of spiritual bread, and when we couple that awareness with our insufficiency to actually satisfy that need on our own, that is when we will truly keep asking, seeking, and knocking. 
This is not to say that asking when faced with other circumstances is, is inapplicable or inappropriate. No, no, no. Yeah, when we're struggling with health, when we're struggling with finances, when we're struggling with questions or whatever, that's important. That's biblical. Go ahead and ask for that. But in Luke 11, when Jesus is teaching people how to pray like him, he's saying, keep praying for the Holy Spirit. Why? So you can give life to others. When it comes to receiving not just good gifts, but the gift of the Spirit, we will not be truly asking for the Holy Spirit aright until we are pierced with a love for souls and a longing to give them the bread of life. Sure, ask for the Holy Spirit so you can experience joy. Ask for the Holy Spirit so you can experience peace. That is great. He will give the fruits of the Holy Spirit. But... Until we ask for the Holy Spirit so I can bless someone else with the gift of salvation. I am actually praying for the Holy Spirit very selfishly. Remember, all of this teaching is triggered by the disciples' request and desire in verse 1. Teach us to pray. <laughs> I want to pray like you. I want to be like Mike. Right? <laughs> this is what triggered it all. To be filled like Jesus. To pray like Jesus. And so when he told the... Don't worry about it. All right. So when he told the parable of shameless persistence and audacity, he was trying to illustrate how he, Jesus, in his humanity, how he approaches the throne of grace. Hold the phone. When Jesus is telling the parable of this friend, he's telling how he sees himself in his humanity. Lord, there are these 12 guys. They're always at each other. They always want to be on top. How do I bless them? And he's going to his father. Please give me bread. Please give me your spirit. Man, when you read the Desire of Ages, uh, the, the, the chapter on uh, Jesus' baptism, I think it's pages 111 and 112 specifically, it describes how Jesus, when he comes up out of the water, you know, in the Jordan River, John the Baptist is baptized and he's coming up out of the water and he comes up out of the water to pray, okay? And you, you read those paragraphs and as he is praying, he's looking up into heaven and he knows that the millennia and generations of sin has hardened the hearts of humanity. He knows the mission in front of him and he knows how can I possibly reach people's hearts? That's what he's seeking and he's looking up to heaven and says, God, I, I need... <laughs> I need power from you. And in Desire of Ages, she actually describes how the angels had never heard a prayer like that. <laughs> oh, man. The angels had never heard a prayer like that. And they want to give Jesus the assurance that he needs. They want to give Jesus the, 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 the support that he needs. But then she says, no, the Father will give him the assurance himself. And so then there's this voice, right? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. But not only this voice, there's what else? There's a visible emblem of the Holy Spirit falling upon him like a dove. Why did that happen? It was because Jesus was burdened for the salvation of souls. He was one who was thirsty and he was one who was asking. He was asking with persistence he was asking with a desire to save. A desire to save. Man, this was the very burden 
that drove him to, to, to whole nights of prayer. You know? This was the very burden, the salvation of souls that drove him to pray even while hanging suspended on Calvary's cross. Father, forgive them. He was burdened with the salvation of souls. That's why he prayed. And that's why he prayed for the spirit. And I would say this is the very burden that consumed the disciples' hearts. Not necessarily while Jesus was walking and talking with him, but after he resurrected, after he ascended, and while they were waiting in the upper room, man, the disciples began to have the same burden that burdened Jesus' heart. I love this. This is uh, from Acts of the Apostles, um, page 37. These days of preparation, talking about the time between uh, Jesus' ascension and then the day of Pentecost. These days of preparation were days of deep heart searching. The disciples felt their spiritual need, cried to the Lord for a holy unction. I love that phrase. That's a reference to the Holy Spirit's power. That was to fit them for the work of soul saving. They did not ask for a blessing for themselves merely. They were weighted with the burden of the salvation of souls. They realized that the gospel was to be carried to the world and they claimed the power that Christ had promised. Question, why were they praying for power? It was because they were were weighted with the burden of the salvation of souls. I'm going to say something here. I don't know if I put this on the screen. Yes. Our asking will be as persistent as our burden to share is fervent. If you're confronted today with your sense of, man, I, I am prayerless. It's supposed to be a heart check. For me this week, it is, it has been the, the overwhelming conviction is, man, if I am prayerless, it's because I am loveless. I am not weighted with the burden of the salvation of souls. But if I were to be, then you bet I'd be following Jesus' example. You bet my eyes would be penetrating heaven. You bet I'd keep asking and seeking and knocking. I need bread to give to those around me. Why? Because I've got nothing and they need salvation. Our prayers will only be as persistent. Our asking for the spirit will only be as persistent as our burden to share is fervent. So it was Jesus' prayer. It was the apostles' prayer. Will it be our prayer? <laughs> The Spirit is given to those who thirst for him, to those who ask for him. And they ask from a burden to share living bread with others. If today you're confronted with your own prayerlessness like I have been, then ask these simple questions, these heart check questions. Is there something sapping my spiritual thirst? Something that I need to surrender, not just today, but every day? And then two, is there someone in my life who is in need of bread? And am I their friend enough to care to ask for the Spirit? I don't know, maybe you've kind of confined your asking for the Holy Spirit just in reference to you. <laughs> but what if your asking for the Spirit is really for someone else? You've got kids in your life. You've got friends in your life. You've got a spouse in your life. You've got neighbors in your life. Ask for the spirit, not just for your sake, but for theirs. theirs. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to ask. 
I know we had some prayer time earlier, but I want to have some more. Uh, for those of you who are joining us on Zoom, I've asked Anne to um, maybe facilitate. So you can go ahead and unmute yourself and, and just kind of have a, a short time of a season of prayer there together. Um, but here's what I want us to pray for, whether on our own or in partners. Here's what I want us to pray for, to pray for thirst, <laughs> to pray for an increased longing for the Holy Spirit and a distaste for anything that would substitute for that. Let's also pray for a passionate burden for others' salvation. You may even turn that into a prayer for divine appointments that friends would come to your door looking for bread, okay? I don't know. Just let's pray for thirst. Let's pray for a burden and open up our lives to the Holy Spirit. Okay, we'll give you a couple of minutes for that wherever you are. Ready, set, let's pray. And as we have studied here today, um, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would take exactly what we need, what we needed to hear, to read, and what we will need to read and hear, and just really penetrate our hearts. Um, God, we want to confess to you our lovelessness. We want to confess to you our prayerlessness. We want to confess to you our tendencies to... Um, to quench our own thirst with things of this world. And uh, I want to pray right now for myself, but for each heart and each home in this space and in our virtual space as well. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would fall upon us and fill us, not just for our sake, God, you know how dry and destitute we are without you. But I pray that you would fill us for others' sake. God, we thank you that this is a promise you want to fulfill in our lives. We just want to tell you we want it too. We long for Christ in us, the hope of glory. Thank you, God, for this time where we can be honest with you, where we can pray together, be a body. And throughout the week, Lord, would you please give us the good sense to keep asking, to keep seeking, to keep knocking. I want to pray specifically for divine appointments, that when we come back together next week, we'd even have testimony to share of how you've brought this person to our life and that person to our life. And you opened up this door even if it wasn't for direct communication and conversation, Lord, that our example, that our, our daily living by the Spirit would impact others and overflow to have saving impact in others' lives. Lord, we just surrender this to you. We thank you that this is something you want to do in us and through us. We pray in Jesus' saving and precious name, let the family say, amen.